Whether or not you ask for it, we are back for a second edition of the Big Red Lily podcast midweek. Uh, and tonight's a special night. We've got a great show for you guys and a couple of special guests. I'm pretty excited uh, to get on here, one of them for the first time. Uh, but one name that's not on for the first time is my good friend and site co-expert, Presley Meyer. Presley, I miss you so much. I know. Like, it, I mean, how long is it? it? It's been like two months, I guess, since we've been like kind of quarantined or confined to our houses for the most part. But it's yeah. been probably like three months since I've actually like seen you in person, like in the flesh. It has. And we, we text nearly every day, but I have not heard your voice probably since the last time I saw you in person, which was about a week before social distancing yeah. uh, went into effect. I miss you, man. Yeah, you get forgot, a room. You, forget, <laughs> you forgot how sexy my voice was, man. I did. I did. And that other voice <laughs> that you hear just barging his way on in. I like it, man. Just be bold the first time. Dalton Pence, newest writer, Big Red Louie. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Did I hop on a Louisville pod or a romantic, <laughs> this is a a romantic pod, singles pod? We we do talk but, a lot of Bachelorette. So. Oh, we do. Lord. Bachelorette. What else? The Office, Parks and Rec. Like, we'll, we'll okay, literally dive I, I can let that slide. Those okay. two are fine. The Bachelorette, though. Oof. I don't know about that one. Look, man. Are you married? You got a girlfriend? I have a girlfriend, but I'm not married. Don't okay. really plan on being anytime soon. Okay, well, I can respect that. Uh, you're talking to a married man and an engaged man, both of whom significant others love The Bachelorette. Oh, well. I will admit, Dalton, the first time I ever watched it, well, before the first time I ever watched it, I grew up with two women in my house. They watched it all the time. I thought it was garbage. Uh, but when my wife finally got me to watch it, I was hooked almost immediately. The, the drama, if you're looking for drama, The Bachelor and Bachelorette is where you need to go. Do you not think it's fake? I mean, to an extent, it's fake. How could it not be, right? I mean, there's, uh, yeah. The producers are so good at manipulating what happens. But in terms of people falling in love, I don't know, maybe. If not, the, the fights certainly aren't fake and the, the all, arguments drama. All the elements that you would like to have in a great sporting event are present in The Bachelor in some kind of weird way. So to, to me, I can – and I always say this too – if my fiance has to put up with me watching and, and talking about sports for 20 to 40 hours a week, then I can put up with two hours a week watching The Bachelor. That's a, that's, that's how fair. I. Uh, you that, may put up with it, but I enjoy it. Like I look forward to Monday nights with my wife watching the show. Say what it's you good will. Good morning time. Yeah, it, it, it is. I get you. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a good experience. I mean, I can understand where you're coming from. <laughs> All right, so by the end of whenever you're done writing for the site, whenever that is, Dalton, we're going to have you watching The Bachelor, Bachelorette. I'm going to go ahead and mark that down today as being something that's going to happen. <laughs> but let me ask you this, Dalton. All so right. you and I, have not, we've not met yet in person, but we've I've gotten to know you pretty well the last couple of weeks. But for the people who don't know you, give us a little bit of your background. I know you've been, you've been writing for probably longer than even Presley and I have. Uh, and you kind of dabble in college basketball, college football, the NBA, the draft. Like, what? What? <laughs> tell us a little bit about your writing experience and and how you got here. Yeah, so it's definitely been a a whirlwind roller coaster. I mean, I've kind of bounced around a couple different places. I actually used to write for um, uh, Fansided's Busting Brackets uh, way back when. That was kind of one of my first gigs. So, um, kind of dabbled in college basketball. I'm a reporter for a Louisville Catholic sports. So, in the high school realm. And locally and um, on top of, you know, the college sports, I, I try to specialize in the NBA draft and everything Houston Rockets. So uh, definitely a little bit more of a balanced approach, not necessarily one realm of uh, study. But um, what can I say? I'm a big sports guy. Yeah, that's awesome. The NBA stuff, you and I have already kind of bonded over that because, of, you know, I started writing for the Pacers uh, fan sided site a few years ago and have had an NBA interest. Presley always makes fun of me when I write, you know, when I get to write about Donovan Mitchell or Montrez Harrell or somebody Louisville related in the NBA. He's like, dude, why are you writing about college sports when you should be writing about the NBA? <laughs> Jacob so, anyway. is an encyclopedia for uh, for NBA, just random like eighth man NBA players. I, I may be, and to be honest with you, my wife will probably tell you the same thing. We've been watching the Last Dance documentary together the last few weeks. So and good. So she gets good. so tired of me pointing out insignificant players in the middle of like the <laughs> '90s, being like, "Oh yeah, that's Ron Harper. You want to hear something about Ron Harper? No, I don't want to hear something." Well, about I'll Ron tell Harper. you anyway. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's let's jump into it. Let's get into some Louisville football. Alex and I the last few weeks have talked primarily basketball because you know as soon as everything happened with the tournament being canceled. 
Uh, Louisville got you know hot and heavy in the graduate transfer market looking for players to fill out that roster. Uh, there was a lot of time reacting to Carleek Jones, Charles Menland, the lack of success in the class of 2020, uh, and then now you know more of the FBI stuff. So I, I don't know about you guys, but without basketball going on, I've kind of burned myself out the last few weeks talking about it, and the FBI stuff has only made it worse. So I'd like to talk football because I think that there is a lot of excitement there. Of course. Throw it. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're, we're going into the, the dog days of summer. Temperatures turned getting, getting pretty hot, which means that typically we would be going into the part of the year where um, all we can think about is how much we miss football. And so to coincide with that, basically going along alongside that, I'm interested in getting more and more into the football side of things because I feel like everything that we talk about with basketball right now is negative anyways. And everything we talk about football is awesome. Um, yeah, right. So, You're, you, you nailed it because, you know, even with the, the two graduate transfers at Louisville land, I mean, gosh, man, it seemed like every day Louisville fans were falling further and further into a best of Chris Mack can't recruit college players, can't recruit high school players. The program sucks, this and that. And, you know, I think they're in a great spot to compete for next season and whatever that looks like. But as far as football, man, we're talking about a team in year two, not year five, not year eight, in year two of Scott Satterfield that could potentially compete to go to an Orange Bowl. Yeah, preseason top 25. Right, exactly. And uh, that's that's one of the things I want to start with was the, was the, the recent in- index that came out from ESPN. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the Football Power Index that really goes into uh, projecting projecting schedules and, and win-loss and uh, who would be favored in what game. And I don't know about you guys, but the 10-2 and two record was was really surprising to me. And, Dalton, I know you covered this a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. But what, what to you guys, you know, 10-2 and two stands out in itself. But, it, you know, is that possible? What How does that look? Is that is that an expectation we should have? Like, what are you guys thinking? Well, you know, I, I look at it, and, I, you know, 10-2, and two, as glorious as that sounds, and, you know, that would really require a huge leap forward and uh, us winning some games where we might not necessarily – uh, supposed to win like the last game of the season is one, you know, that that's going to kind of be the kicker. If this 10 and two is going to happen, you know, I don't think we win at Clemson. I, I just don't think it's possible. Uh, Notre Dame, I, I don't want to rule it out, but in South Bend with still a veteran roster, uh, things aren't looking good there. Uh, the Kentucky games at home, last game of the season, the guys have to have some added motivation. I think 10 and two is a little generous. The eight and four projected, um, the projected win loss is um, basically eight and four, which I think is um, I think that's fair. And I think Louisville fans need to realize, you know, just uh, because they repeat the number of wins they got last season does not mean they stood the same or took a step back. I think, you know, their schedule is maybe just a little tougher this year. You got two very good teams on your schedule with Clemson and um Notre Dame, and then you've got Kentucky, who's still going to be good. Florida State's on the uptick. Virginia Tech's going to be a game to watch. But I really think, you know, 8-4, and 9-3 and three is where I'd peg Louisville at right now. I just don't think, you know, the defense is going to be able to really uh, solicit that 10-2 and double-digit regular season wins. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that, that. That's the first thing when you talk about why they won't go 10-2 and two, is you say, well, did you watch them play against Miami and Kentucky last year? That's the same defense that's back this season. Uh, but then, you know, on the other side of that, Dalton, I can throw out, well, when was the last time Louisville had a defensive coordinator for two years in a row? When was the last right. time that Louisville uh, returned yeah. eight starters on defense? Uh, when was the last time that Louisville brought in a recruiting class that featured almost nothing but, you know, defensive guys? Obviously, there was a lot of offensive guys there, but a lot of impact defensive guys. Uh, so there's a lot of things that's going for them. But I agree. Uh, and Presley, I, I think you probably are in the same thing there, that it's definitely not the defense um, that or it's not the offense that people are worried about. No, it's it's definitely the defense, defensive side of the ball, too. And and the reason that I would caution people as well um, going in, into the 2020 season is because there were so many things that just went Louisville's way last year. Right. Like, I think that all of the negative mojo that we had in 2018, um, we basically just flipped that on its head in 2019. And there were a lot of like, there were a lot of really close wins and a lot of really um, fortuitous things that happened to Louisville to kind of turn some games on their heads. Like, I don't know if you guys can remember back to, to, to a few of these games um, where, where the opposing team's quarterback either left for the game or was out for a significant amount of drives. Um, and I, I, I don't know if there would be any way to keep tabs on this 
Um, but but I would say that uh, at least I can't remember um, a season where a team has had so many opposing quarterbacks get hurt during the game. Um, I don't know if that's because of like something about Louisville's physicality mm-hmm. or if it's just something that that was just extremely fortunate. But I mean, if you go back and just think about against Florida State, Boston College, um, was it Wake, Wake Forest as well? Um, there's probably four or five games um, where Louisville basically went, basically finished the game against a different quarterback than they started against. Um, and I think that was a huge, huge benef- benefit uh, for Louisville. Um, and, and that really helped out in a few games where they pulled out close ones. For instance, against Boston College, you know, they, they pulled out a close one where, where they won on a last second field goal. Against Wake Forest, they held on late. Against the backup quarterback, against NC State, they were starting their third. Um, basically, who, the guy who started out as their third string quarterback, that was a little bit of a di- different situation. But um, there are a lot of issues as far as, as the key players on the opposing teams um, having injuries or just 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 overall being dealt um, blows that, that they didn't have to deal with. Um, in other instances, there's all the, also stuff like um, the game against Virginia um, played completely in the Louisville's hands because of the weather. Um, there are a lot of things that happen that really fell in a place for Louisville. And then the last thing I would say too um, that, that I would caution people about is that Louisville remained extremely healthy throughout the entire season last year. Um, and I, I, I think that was a, a huge deal. Um, the, the, obviously the storyline going into the season um, was that, that there was a lot of talent on this team, but there wasn't talented depth. Um, and, and when you play, you saw that come out a lot, right? When, when they played like, the Miamis, who have a lot of these four- and five-star players, or uh, Kentucky, who has a lot of length, Florida State, uh, Notre Dame, obviously Clemson, all of the losses um, came came to people who they just had more dogs than, than Louisville did. You know, they, they were able to hang on against Clemson. They were able to hang on against Notre Dame for a period of time, um, but that was all due to the fact that they basically had hardly any significant injuries throughout the season, with, with the exception of that quarterback, where they were extremely fortunate to have the the high level quarterback play that they had, um, so so that that would be the one thing that I would caution people about. If you're thinking ten and two, if you're thinking eleven and one, it, I, it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I think that a lot of things could happen this season that could bring Louisville fans back down to earth. And like Dalton said, um, there could be a lot a lot of uh, instances where Louisville can end up being a better team and still end up coming out at the end of the season at seven and five or eight and four. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're spot on with all that. And I think that you can, you know, I can make some, if I wanted to, I can make some counter arguments as to what you said, because I think Louisville did a lot of the same thing that opposing teams deal with them or dealt with. Look at Wake Forest. I mean, you have a freshman quarterback on the final drive of the game, same against Boston college, go down and win you a football game. That's two games you could have lost right there. Uh, there were multiple other games throughout the year. I mean, Florida State, they easily could have pulled that game out and been, right. you know, went looking at nine wins instead of eight um, or whatever the number would have been. I'm not good at math. I think you guys know that by now. Um, <laughs> and then obviously, you know, Kentucky and Miami, that we're not getting those games back. Like those weren't close by any means. And that right. that's where we saw the most problems for Louisville exposed. And, you know, you wonder this year with another year of teams to watch film and get a little bit more adjusted to what Louisville does. You know, maybe they can start to kind of slow that down. But, uh, you know, I think that last year is going to really help them uh, take a next step because you're right. They they got really fortunate in a lot of places. Uh, they made a lot of plays late in games. I mean, Presley, you and I were covering the Boston College game. If it wasn't for that Anthony Johnson interception late in the game, I think it was one of the first interceptions of the season, if not the first. They don't first, win that yeah. game. Yeah, they don't right. win that game. If they don't get the strip on the two-yard line by Monty Montgomery, that game is – you know, exactly. 21 nothing right away. Um, and so you think that they'll be able to take care of that this year, especially with a schedule. I, you know, personally, I think it's a little bit more favorable than it was last year. Wake Forest lost Jamie Newman. Virginia loses Bryce Perkins. NC State looks like they are headed to a place where Dave Dorn's going to get canned. Uh, so, you know, I think that there's an opportunity next year to get to 10 and 2. But, you know, I think the defense, man, I think that's where I just keep coming back to is, you know, they shot a lot of improvement. Uh, throughout the year and there's definitely an ice cream truck rolling down my street at 7:57 at night like what kids are awake right now and two are ice cream trucks do they comply with social distancing no Ooh. no they because don't. right you're creating lines that seems like a problem to me 
Yeah, Bashir, what are we doing here? Yeah, you, I should go chase them down and tell them they can't be doing that. So, um, <laughs> can't while be you do that, that, while you do that, me and Presley will talk over football. Right, I'll go let them know. <laughs> hey, you can't be doing that. But, but Dalton, when you um, when you look at the offense, Presley wrote about this this week. One of the things that um, that the analytics are showing Louisville being, you know, just exceptionally great at is on offense. Uh, the quote Presley includes in this from the ESPN FBI is they actually have Louisville rated as the fourth best offense in the country next season. Can the offense kind of cover uh, a multitude of issues from the defense? Are they good enough to where you look at the schedule and you say, okay, I don't think this, 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 and this team can outscore Louisville on any given night. Yeah. So there, there's a couple of stances that I look at. Um, number one, the offense is good enough to win you games. Uh, the offense will keep you in games. In my opinion, the defense will determine how many games you actually win, uh, really just depending on, um, and we'll talk about the defense. I think the biggest thing with them is, um, not allowing the big play, which they were notorious for last season, but, uh, flipping the script onto the offense. I mean, they return almost pretty much every single skill guy. I mean, you got Mikael Cunningham back. And he's after his first season as a full starter. I mean, he improved drastically. We saw that um, in the final game of the year, game of the year against Mississippi State. He looked very good. A lot of times saw stuff that we didn't necessarily see from him early on when he came back from injury. Um, You got the running back duo of Hawkins and Hall back. Uh, All ACC first team selection. Tutu Atwell is back. Uh, There really doesn't. What's there to be said about the guy that hasn't already been said? Des Fitzpatrick's back. We add more depth on the offensive line. I think that's where things are going to stand. We lose Makai Becton, but I wouldn't put it out of the equation to where the Louisville offensive line gets better as a whole, not only because we add depth, but when you have a coach like Dwayne Ledford, which people continually rave about, his energy, the Mm -hmm. technique, the philosophy that he carries, the band of brothers. I mean, you have guys buying into a system. And a lot of these guys, you know, had a lot of talent, but let's be honest, I mean, Bobby Petrino did not do any favors to the lines on either side of the ball, whether it was recruiting, whether it was technique and instruction. Now you have consistent instruction. You have a coach who's hungry for guys to get better. And not, not, now you have activated in these guys, you know, the dog mentality. I really think, you know, there's guys that can come in next year. You know, Trevor Reed, Luke Kandra, some uh, freshman and uh, Juco guy. Those are guys who are going to be able to compete right away. Maybe not starting, but definitely a lot of depth. So, the skill guys are back. Really, the kicker is going to be that offensive line when it comes to dealing with can this offense, you know, live up to the hype that's surrounding them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And the offensive line, the thing that I keep coming back to, you made a great point, Dalton, is they're going to I think they're going to collectively get better. Uh, and the reason for that and the more I've watched the last couple of weeks, I've been watching a lot of the games on replay and condensed as, as Presley and I have kind of wrote about uh, NFL prospects and just all the different things that come with football. The guy who stands out as being, I think, potential to go from just an, uh, a starter, a guy that you really can you know, count on but not really a star, is, is Caleb Chandler. I think that he has the potential to be a first-round draft pick, second-round draft pick, and be Ledford's next guy. Uh, and if you're in the, the one thing about the offensive line last year was their numbers were a lot improved, a lot more improved, especially in the running game. And you saw Makai Becton just absolutely bulldoze people. Uh, but Presley, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but uh, you know, inside Cole Bentley, Robbie Bell, they struggled. That right side of the line oh, yeah. was, you know, Tyler Haycraft was solid, <laughs> but he was limited in his speed, athleticism, and he's a guy who he got to where he is based off grit and just pure power and domination. But when he went up against bigger, stronger, faster guys, he struggled. Um, but I think that this year, if they can figure out a way to get that right side of the line um, adjusted, whether that's, you know, do you keep it the same and just hope that Cole Bentley and Robbie Bell are better? Presley, or do you bring in do you do you move in Cam, uh, Cam DeGeorge, the the graduate transfer from UConn? Um, do you bring in some of those freshmen, Tim Lawson, Kobe Baines, some of these guys who are big enough, strong enough to play right away? Um, do you do you think that that's an area that probably needs some improvement in terms of Louisville taking the next step? Yeah, when I think one thing that you have to consider too is as there was nobody that was going to be challenging Mackay Becton on that left side, right? Um, so you have probably some of the team's best players. And we even, we even heard about this a lot in the NFL draft about it's not important that Makai Becton anymore is, is a left tackle. You know, I know the big thing was, you know, the first sentence in, in the movie, the blind side, right. Is that the quarterback's the highest paid left tackle is the second highest paid. It's not the case anymore because people have found that, okay, if you're going to put, if you're going to put um, your most talented offensive lineman on the left side, 
um, then they're just going to come from the right. And it, it's, it was the same way for Louisville last year. I think that, um, you know, if you're going to have the most talented guys challenging, um, you know, Tyler Haycraft and, and, um, and that, that right side of the line um, over and over again, that, that that's not going to be the case as much this year, I feel, because there's going to be just more of a balance across the entire line. Um, in addition, uh, like Dalton alluded to, um, there's going to be just a lot more talented depth um, on the line this year. Last year, we were looking at basically seven or eight guys in the rotation max. I think you have a true uh, two deep and maybe even further than that this year. Um, so to me, that's extremely exciting to see that, that they're building that depth. And, and, and like you said, I'm interested to see who the next uh, the next kind of protege for, for Dwayne Ledford turns out to be. It could is be Cam DeGeorge. Caleb Chandler? It could be Cam DeGeorge. And, and, and you know, Cam DeGeorge is, is one of those guys where people are like, okay, yeah, I came from UConn. He's undersized. But those are the kind of guys that, that he specializes in. You know, is, is this guy going to end up, you know, turn out to be a, a starter on the interior line? Um, you, you know, we, we're not really sure where he's going to fit in yet. Um, but th- that's, that's a perfect point, Dalton, in, in that we don't really know how it's going to turn out. I think that after just seeing and following, uh, what, what Ledford has done over the last five or six years, um, I think that everybody just has complete faith in, in what he's doing. Um, and then in, in addition to that, I think that they're really going to open up the offense in, in the second year. Um, I, I think that there is a lot of, very basic offensive um, play calling this year, if, if, that's how, if that's how you want to put it. Basically, from what we've heard from from people around the program too, there there is basically a complete lack of running any sort of plays uh, to receivers, kind of going to the sideline. Like everything was across the middle. A lot of the runs were up the middle. There we saw that Hassan Hall and Javion Hawkins combined for 12 catches last year. That's not going to be the case this season. Um, they're going to be able to hit receiver, running backs a lot more out of the backfield. So with that um, increase in, in, uh, in variety in the playbook, um, there could be a lot that, you know, they, they, they might not rely as much just on, on, on um, you know, a couple of players on the offensive line. They're going to be more of a cohesive unit. Yeah, and Dalton, tell me if you agree with this. Here's one of the things that I've been kind of – uh, sharing the last few weeks and a lot of articles that I've written, I think the key to unlocking 10 wins next season, maybe even nine is, you know, a lot of it is defense, right? But I think you have to unlock Des Fitzpatrick. He cannot be a guy who only has 630 yards. This has got to be a guy who's up there near a thousand yards and you have to do so without taking away anything you've done with Tutu Atwell. It's not really, in my opinion, you're right. But I want to further that point by saying it's not so much unlocking Des Fitzpatrick. How do you unlock Des Fitzpatrick? Well, you unlock the source. Mikael Cunningham has to become a better passer. And we saw that, you know, he, he was very efficient, went in the pocket. And I think, you know, that, that's going to improve this year because I think you're going to have a more steady pocket overall. Like Presley alluded to, there's not, you know, so much pressure coming on, you know, your weak link on the line. It's going to be more balanced. But here's the thing. Mikael Cunningham has to become a smarter quarterback in realizing, you know, when is the right time to check down? You've got to get the guy. Once you get the running backs involved out in the flat, because, you know, Javian Hawkins, Hassan Hall, both of those guys are very good at making others miss. And that's really something that, that could be a big thing for the Louisville offense is both those guys are home run guys, more Hawkins than Hall, but definitely uh, the point still stands. To unlock Des Fitzpatrick, you have to unlock around him because, you know, Tutu's going to get his. I mean, he's just uh, physically a freak in the speed that he possesses and the quickness. Des Fitzpatrick's more of a, a traditional receiver. He doesn't ha- he doesn't do anything really great, but he does a lot of things solid. And that's really, you know, when we saw him a freshman year with Lamar, he's able to create separation. It's on Mikel Cunningham to recognize that and be able to re the defense and be able to deliver a ball that you know Des can uh, really kind of uh, work with and that's really what it boils down to is can Cunningham find Des Fitzpatrick more rather than can Des Fitzpatrick unlock himself if that makes sense you no, you're totally right because the one thing that you saw last season and Presley you just said it was they they fit they could not figure out a way to get the ball outside no matter what they did and for weeks Scott Satterfield said you know this is this is a really great offense they're doing a lot of things down the field but we got to figure out a way to get the ball outside uh and you think that I think we saw it more in the Mississippi State game and that's what's kind of helped 
me to to see the evolution of Mikhail as a as a passer and potentially an NFL draft prospect next season or the year after because of his ability. I mean, he, the, the way he's improved from 2018 is spectacular, and all of the credit of that goes to obviously he's worked really hard. But Frank Ponce has figured out a way to get this kid to be special. I mean, he's really a special player. Um, and we saw that last year, and I think that with all the weapons around this year, you you only think that he's going to take the next step up. But speaking of Cunningham, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this question to you guys. This is from Nick Connor on Twitter. He asks, how will uh, Sat try to keep Cunningham cleaner slash less prone to injuries in this year's offense? What, I'll let you go. You guys kind of answer that. Presley, you go first. As far as keeping Cunningham cleaner, I'm, I think that it all just goes back to him developing more as a quarterback. Um, and, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before we got on, but he is very much, um, and I'm sorry, I don't know who to give, who to give the credit to, but who said this, but they're hundred percent right that, that Cunningham is the anti Lamar when it comes to running in the open field. Uh, Lamar Jackson was such an incredible, um, asset to Louisville's offense because he was able to just to avoid tackles at all costs. He was able to get an extra six, seven, eight yards without even getting touched before he gets to the sideline or before he gets down. Um, and, and, and the same cannot be said of Cunningham whatsoever. He's a magnet. Um, <laughs> he, he is, he's a tackle magnet. Um, and, and part of that is just having the awareness as a college quarterback and just letting the, basically being able to catch up to the speed of the game. Um, and I, I don't think it necessarily has as much to do with the offensive line as, as it might feel like. Um, I, I think it, it, it definitely just has more to do with developing as a quarterback, knowing when to get rid of the ball, um, knowing when to get out of the pocket and when to stay in the pocket, knowing when to move up into the pocket. Those are the kind of same things that we haven't seen yet um, from Cunningham. So, and, and, and then, you know, I, I'm, I really want to see him utilize more, you know, the, the real strength of his game is as, as a running dual threat quarterback. Like, I truly believe that he's a guy who can have 800 to 1,000 yards rushing in a season. I don't think that's, that's like, completely out of the question whatsoever. Um, so, so it'll be interesting for me to see where he can progress more so as a runner than even as, as, a, as a passer. Um, but it, it, as far as him being banged up all, all of last season, um, I, it just might be one of those things where he's more of an injury-prone guy. Uh, what do you think, Dalton? I mean, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Just to kind of add on to that, you know, I think um, I agree with your point on the fact that you know he could maybe eclipse the the thousand yard mark on the ground. But to do that, um, you know, the global offense has to seek you know an identity modification. You have to alter you know the identity. You know, the the running game was a staple of the global offense because it had to be last year. You know, the passing game was still getting figured out. If Cunningham can unlock his ability to, you know, check down to receivers, throw the ball away when he needs to um, stay in the pocket, even when, you know, a little pressure shows, trust your offensive line and make the right decision to, you know, if it's time to run, it's time to run, but be able to hit your guys out in the flat or over the middle or to the sideline like we've been trying to reiterate. But um, that all becomes more viable when Cunningham, uh, you know, advances his offensive tool set of being you know uh, an extreme passer we know you know the efficiency is there he can deliver a good deep ball when he makes the right read but a lot of his throws you know come within that uh the short yard distance that uh really re- relies on guys to you know make the break the tackle and make the moves like you know Tutu Atwell seems like a lot of his touchdowns he caught within 10 yards and just ran the rest of the way so really, Mikhail Cunningham, when it comes to him staying healthy, yes, he has to be able to check down. Yes, he has to be able to, you know, keep himself um, out of harm's way in terms of elusiveness. But it also boils down to is he going to be able to throw the ball away, which Lamar was so good at. You know, it almost seems like he threw the ball away more than he should have. But, uh, you know, I'd rather that than, you know, but Lamar was so good at staying on the field. But the only way Cunningham is really going to progress drastically like he did this past year is if he stays on the field. And that helps a little lot in the wrong, long run as well. Yeah, and yeah, you've got that. Go ahead. What, what comes to my mind, too, is if he can just make that last step to where he can make reads um, across the field and to the sidelines, you know, he it seems like it seems to me that Cunningham really has across the middle down pat. Like, I think that when he, when he was finding Marshawn Ford and Tutu Atwell 
And to an extent, we saw a lot of plays where, where Seth Dawkins in, in that role was kind of, you know, he found him cutting across the middle, kind of on, on broken play type situations. If he can make that final progression to where Dennis Fitzpatrick kind of becomes his go-to guy, then that completely opens up the playbook. Because right. then you're looking at a situation where you could have one play where he's, you know, thrown across the middle. The next play, um, you know, Louisville's hitting the sidelines. And then after that, then all of a sudden you have Cunningham and Javion Hawkins in the backfield running a read option type of offense, which is something that we didn't see very much last year. If you could have Cunningham and, and Hawkins in, in some sort of read action type of play, or read option type of play, and you have a, a player like Tutu Atwell on the field, that's that becomes a lethal offense. Um, so the, there are so many different options um, that the staff can turn to if he can just make those final progressions. And then that's when, you know, Cunningham has an opportunity to remain healthy um, on the field uh, because when the opposing team, when, when, when the, the opposing defense doesn't know what is, is coming, then that's when he's going to start, you know, not finding himself on the ground 30 times or 20 times a game, you know. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think that's that's the final step is just just progressing as a as a quarterback and a, as a as a player just becoming a more complete quarterback. Yeah, he he took a lot of sacks last season, and Evan Conley was the same way. The Clemson game is what quickly quickly comes to mind when I think about sacks that were just taken because there was literally nowhere to go with the ball. Uh, but a lot of it was holding on to the ball too long. I mean, they trying to let things happen instead of taking off. I thought Mikael Cunningham didn't run enough last year. No. Um, and I think it benefited the offense in a lot because you don't need a running quarterback uh, to be a thousand yard runner. Like I don't, I think that Mikael Cunningham could absolutely run for a thousand yards, but I don't think you want him to or need him to in this offense with He's two running backs. Like, right. Well, and you've got Hawkins and Hall who should get every carry available if you're running the football. There's no reason uh, unless a play breaks down or maybe just to throw a, a wrench in the game plan that Cunningham is running the football uh, because he's such a good. Uh, he, he's such a good deep ball passer, such a good passer over the middle, and has the opportunity and potential to develop into that. Um, but when when it's running, you talk about, yeah, he's not durable enough. Like, the guy should learn to to stay in the pocket, which he did a lot more last season, um, and then only run when the pressure starts to cave in and, and be able to get out of there. But I, one of the things that I want to talk about is, Presley, you wrote about this today, is the two games on Louisville's schedule right now that the FBI has Louisville losing, and it's not even close. They've got Clemson is 94 0.9% favorites over Louisville in week two on the road. Uh, and then to to close out the season uh, before Kentucky, they go again on the road and they play Notre Dame, and Louisville is a 34.6% favorite. So obviously that game links towards Notre Dame. In your mind, Presley, who is the team that Louisville beats? I think the answer might be pretty obvious when you think about it, but um, just tell me a little bit of each team, why, why Louisville could beat Clemson, why Louisville could beat Notre Dame immediately what came to mind back when I was, I was kind of evaluating the schedule dating all the way back to the end of last season leading into the bowl game. Uh, we knew that Louisville was probably going to open up against a conference opponent and probably two conference opponents. When we we're looking at the open dates, uh, they scheduled their two kind of buy-in or buy games uh, later on in the schedule. So we knew um, right off the bat that Louisville was going to have some conference foes um, starting off, um, and immediately what came to my mind was, please, not Clemson week one, Clemson week two. So I'm going through, I'm breaking down what's Virginia Tech's schedule, what's this in this schedule. And that's why I said immediately was that basically it was going to be Virginia Tech, NC State, or Clemson. Two of those three were going to be Louisville's first game. And, and in my mind, I really wanted to see uh, Clemson be the second game of the season because for whatever reason, I, I just, I'm, I'm really big on, on um, momentum, mojo, um, just that feeling that that the, that the team can gather and the momentum that they can gather going into games. And I think this, the schedule does set up perfectly for Louisville against Clemson. Um, number one, you, you already see that the metrics are, are setting up so as such that that Louisville probably has the best chance of, of almost anybody on Clemson's schedule of pulling the upset. It's not very not not by very much, um, not a very high percentage, but Louisville has the best chance because they're going to have the best offense that they face more than likely. Um, and then Louisville's catching Clemson probably at the best, most opportune time. Clemson opens the season the same day as Louisville uh, on a Thursday. 
they play the, at the same time against Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech. Um, and then, just like they did last season, last season they had, they opened home and home, Georgia Tech at home, and then they had Texas A&M come in. And if you remember, that was a big that was a big time game. Texas Tech was you know ranked in the teens. Uh, I think the Louisville will be kind of in a similar situation. And and the Aggies kind of hung with them for a while. Um, I think that Louisville has a lot more firepower than Texas A&M did last year. Um, Clemson came in ready for that game, um, uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Now, obviously, Texas A&M has, has a, a very stout defense, uh, so it, it's different in that aspect. But all I'm saying about the Clemson game is that it could not set up more perfectly should the season go as planned. Obviously, there's a lot going on with COVID-19 and such. Um, but but should, should the season go on as planned, uh, I believe that Louisville has drawn Clemson in, in the best possible scenario. Uh, that being said, I think that it's super obvious that 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 Notre Dame is the game um, if, if Louisville is going to pull off the the massive upset this season. Um, obviously, we've already seen Louisville win in the, the South Bend six years ago. Now, um, brought a, a massive following with them to the game. Um, how much that played a factor, I'm not sure, but I, I know after the game, a lot of Notre Dame fans commented on on the fact that that was probably the largest. Uh, crowd that a, that an opposing fan base had brought um, in the in the South Bend. Um, so it, it should things you know should we not be social distancing and and, and people are allowed to attend the game as they please? Um, I, I think that you could see something similar with that Notre Dame game. And I think the Louisville matches up well against them. You know, it, it's it's a different situation than uh, most teams will catch Notre Dame in. And, and the fact that Louisville opened with Notre Dame last season, so they had the most possible prep going into that game. And then they're going to be able to work off of that tape and work off of, of what they prepared for last season with a very similar um, with a very similar roster. Um, does Louisville have a great chance to beat Notre Dame? I I personally don't think so. Uh, I, I see Clemson and Notre Dame is is two losses that that I would pencil on the schedule to start the season, just like last season, obviously. Um, but with that being said, I think that Notre Dame is the much better opportunity. Um, they are reloading on, or not reloading. They bring back all of their starting um, off, offensive linemen. However, um, everybody around Ian Book is pretty much gone. Uh, we saw that Cole Komet was drafted in, in the NFL draft. Chase Claypool was a monster um, all last season. He's gone. Um, so they're, and they're, they're gonna, they basically have just kind of a stable of running backs that are completely unproven. Um, obviously, there's going to be a game later in the season, but they're going to be young. They're going to be learning. Um, you know what what their team is made of, and then lastly, they they're going into um, a big time game against USC to finish the season. So is is it a, does it come into play at all? Is it a factor that um, perhaps Louisville um, playing the, the week before they play their rivals? Is that is that a factor? I'm not really sure, um, but to me, I think that everything adds up to being that that Notre Dame is a much better chance of of uh, Louisville pulling off the upset. Yeah. Don, what do you say? Yeah. Uh, just to add on to that, I think you're right. Um, I, I honestly don't think it's, it's, it's as, you know, it's much on Notre Dame as it is Clemson. Um, I think Notre Dame is a winnable game, although I don't foresee us winning that game. You're right. Ian Book is back, but um, you, you lose a lot of the offense. Uh, you're starting running backs gone. Claypool, the, you know, the great wide receiver they had. Cole Komet, one of the best tight ends in collegiate football. He's gone, so you're definitely, but they do return a good offensive line. Ian Book definitely is um, a guy who found some success, especially in that second half against Louisville last season. But um, I, I def, you, if, if we're talking about a pinnacle Clemson year, I mean, I'm really thinking this could be it. I'm not I'm not so sure this will be, you know, the best year that they've ever had, but um, you got Trevor Lawrence in a junior year. Travis Etienne uh, comes back for his or yeah, is, is it Trevor or Travis? There's two of them. It's Travis. I don't know. Now that you say that, I have no idea. Trevor well, I think it's Travis. No, it's, it's it Travis. It's Travis. Okay. Okay. Because the thing about it is, is I'm also, you know, a big LSU guy and there's a running back. His little brother is also, uh, coming up. So I've been reading some recruiting on him, but yes, they return ETN, which is, a uh, maybe the best running back in the nation alongside Najee Harris. Um, and then you've got Justin Ross and all their studs that are waiting in the wings. Uh, the defense does lose some guys, you know, like A.J. Terrell, Isaiah Simmons, some gamers, but it always seems like, you know, it's it's next man up. 
Yeah, they got I, nine dudes behind them who yeah, probably are I just do, as good, if not better. I do really love that second-round matchup because, one, just get it out of the way. If we get blown out, we get blown out. Well, who cares? It's the second week of the season. There's a whole season left. I, I'd rather it not be, you know, late in the season. But um, there are – Clemson does have one slip-up game a year, it seems. And it seems like they always do to a team that um, – exhibits great quarterback play you look mm-hmm. uh in the past 2016 when they lost to pittsburgh nathan peterman lit them up uh nathan when they peterman. <laughs> when <laughs> they almost when they almost lost to syracuse in uh 2018 eric dungy did the same thing uh 2019 sam howe for north carolina they all you know stepped up and made throws made game winning plays now obviously two of those three were not successful as clemson is pound per pound maybe the best team in the country if i'm putting a my money on a team to win it it's them but if we're going to catch them mikhail cunningham has to be on his a game he probably has to have the best game of his career for being honest hawkins and hall are going to have to be able to get through to the second wave of defenders and guys like toot we're going to have to have some big plays we're also going to have to have some fortunate turnovers but um i really don't see either being a a really a favorable game especially clemson i just I wouldn't rule the Notre Dame game out, especially since it's the last week of the season. And, you know, unfortunately, injuries do happen. Sometimes players just have bad seasons. I think, you know, if we're going to get Clemson, you know, week two is the best chance to get them. Yeah, I completely agree that you want Clemson early, especially because last season, and I don't know if it'll repeat itself because, you know, you in Trevor Lawrence, you expect this guy to be the number one pick, but he was not very good to start the year last year. I think he, he was. threw two picks against Georgia Tech, threw a couple more against Texas A&M, and then obviously North Louisville Carolina got him. didn't look good either. Right, and Louisville got him twice with uh, Russ Yeast and Jack Fago. So, like, Louisville, you know, Louisville wasn't known by any means for picking off passes. And to get them twice, one of which was in the end zone, and maybe even both of them were in the end zone, um, that – and then when you look at – if Louisville can replicate that on defense and assuming that the rest of the group catches up, okay, that puts you in a pretty good spot. Now, last year when you go back to that Clemson game, how much the offense left on the field. Tutu Atwell, as great of a season as he had, he dropped two touchdown passes against Clemson. Uh, Louisville whiffed on an interception in the first in the first half at the end of the half uh, that absolutely should have been picked and Justin Ross somehow able to climb the ladder and get it. Uh, they, <laughs> Louisville left 28 points on the field against Clemson. Easily. Let's not talk. Let's not forget the 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 botched safety call as well. Mm-hmm. Right, that that turned into a touchdown for Clemson. Um, if I'm not exactly. mistaken. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot started. of that game. I I would make the <laughs> argument that outside of North Carolina, who obviously had a chance to beat them and lost on a two-point conversion. In the regular season, I don't know if anybody played Clemson as well as Louisville did now is in the first half. Second half, Louisville just didn't have the horses to keep up, and eventually Evan Conley came in, and I think he took 14 sacks in about five drives. Uh, And obviously that's going to be Clemson every year, but this season I feel like the Louisville-Clemson matchup will be a little bit closer. And Dalton, like you said, they've always been – there's always one team every year that surprises Clemson. Uh, North Carolina State has done it. Syracuse has done it. You mentioned Pittsburgh. You mentioned North Carolina last year. Why can't Louisville be that team this year? Uh, this game to me feels a lot like the year when uh, – I think it was before Lamar Jackson's sophomore year. Maybe it was the year even prior to that when uh, Louisville had been down by 14, as many as 14 in the second half, and came back in the final seconds and nearly won that game. Uh, I think you could see a game within 14 points for Louisville against Clemson. Yeah, I think it all it all boils down to, you know, Clemson can't get too much better. Like, you're already at the top of the food chain. The level for improvement outside of, you know, Trevor Lawrence kind of stinking it up at the beginning of last season, the level of, of improvement, there's not much. You know, Louisville really has a chance to – you know, cut the the talent gap and the production gap considerably down. Now, obviously not uh, significantly, but considerably. So I definitely think it's closer than last year. I, I I don't know if they have a game time for it yet. Do they have a game time for the Clemson game yet? I, I, I do that. not know that, but I, I hope it's 9 a.m. Let's make it 9 a.m. Eastern time. Right. Let's just go ahead and kick off in the morning. So there's, you know, but they'll, they'll probably still pack the stadium and have it rocking. So no I was about to say, I, I actually brought up to Jacob. Can you imagine if some of these social distancing practices are in place for that Clemson game and they play that, in that a pretty much empty? Yeah, I mean, that would be that would be fascinating to see. Um, not not that I think that it's going to happen, but it, but it levels the playing field. If Louisville oh, goes does. to Clemson with no fans, it's a completely different place. Sure, you're getting that, the number one team in the country, but you're playing in front of no one, and there's no pressure. 
it's it's hard to you know one of the reasons why great teams remain great you know over time uh, and it correlates with you know a great fan stand I mean LSU Alabama Clemson they don't lose at home a lot um, Georgia Oklahoma and the, these fans are ready like most of their basketball teams are absolutely trash so they have to focus on football because that is their not only cash cow but uh, they know nothing else better it's either you know water polo or football because basketball is not going to win you anything so. Definitely, you know, these guys are itching to, you know, jump, go off the hinges. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. Yeah, one, you're, you're, one, you're spot on. Go ahead, Presley. One thing that I have been researching, because I actually did have a little conversation with, with uh, the guy Cardinal Craze a couple weeks back, and, and one thing that we really do- dove into um, was just recruiting classes at Louisville, um, how much Louisville can improve, what the recruiting classes look like, and I think this kind of ties into what we wanted to talk about next. Um, but if you look at Clemson's recruiting classes, um, they became dominant without having like Alabama type recruiting classes. And I know it doesn't feel like that because they had some of these elite level guys that are just tearing it up in the NFL right now. Um, but if you look back to when they started their kind of like reign of terror on the ACC back in like 2017, uh, you're looking at their, they had the 16th ranked, ranked recruiting class in 17. Uh, so they went 11, 16, 7. Uh, then 10, but then the last two years, they went third, first, first. So, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's not just that they, you know, have been to four straight national championship games and they've won two out of the last four national titles. That was with a bunch of players in recruiting classes that were like top 10, 15 ish. Yeah. Now they're having the, the cream of the crop. Like every guy is a five star. Like they're turning yeah. down, they're, they're turning they're, down star guys they're they're becoming alabama very quickly and oh yeah and it's very easy to draw the line of Dave of dabo following in the footsteps of nick saban of you know doing very similar building a, a really special program remember alabama was no good when nick saban took over uh, they had had a lot of issues for years and, and clemson was a successful program but they fired their coach for a reason and so you can kind of see their paths in parallel and a lot of people believe that that dabo sweeney will eventually end up at alabama replacing nick saban Remember, he was a walk-on at Alabama, and this is not a topic for today. This is a this is a show, but my question to ponder on, something that makes you say, hmm, is Scott Satterfield right now and for the next several years, is he the biggest threat to Dabo Sweeney in the Clemson franchise? I think the answer is an easy 100%. yes. 100%. And it is very – I think that if Louisville does – and again, this is a conversation for a long time from now. But if Louisville does watch Scott Satterfield at some point leave for another program, do not be shocked if it's Clemson. Oh, I, he, you're right. I just don't see Dabo next Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, I, and, and it's the a thing, though. We could talk Dabo, about that for hours. Yeah, oh, yeah, you could. And just, just a little point. You know, it, I love the storyline of Dabo to Alabama because, you know, Alabama is this premier program. Um, are we thinking, I think Clemson has surpassed Alabama in terms of, you know, modern day, which program is better as we speak? You know, first of all, you're, you're, if you're Dabo Sweeney, you're scared. You're almost, if you bring in their classes, like you're doing now and you get the talent and you produce them like you have been, you're almost a guarantee to go to the playoff every single year. SEC, that might not be the case because now, you know, you've got Ed Orgeron who showed, you know, he can coach. And then you, you also have Kirby Smart, who's lurking in the beams. They're, the SEC is very talented, and uh, there's more threats in the SEC. Does Dabble Sweeney need to leave? Yeah. Does Dabble Sweeney need to leave Clemson? I think the answer is a hard no. I no think, right. you know, if he does, is it an NFL opportunity that he goes I mean, for? It, 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 would, it would have to be. It would have to be an NFL thing. But I don't think that that's Dabble's niche. I think Dabble is – is great at getting young men to buy into a system. Uh, when you go to the pros, you have to kind of alter your ego a little bit. Dad was definitely an egocentric type of guy. He, he's full of himself. Let's let's be honest. As much as he wants to put on that, he's not. He's very full of himself. He loves the spotlight in the NFL. You know, that's on the guys that are, that are getting paid significantly more than him. Is he going to be able to, you know, put himself in a back seat for? You know, guys getting paid millions and millions. I, I just don't see that happening. But like you said, that's a conversation for a rainy day. 
Yeah, absolutely. And in the dog days of summers, we're going to have plenty of opportunities to talk about hypothetical situations like that. But to close the show out, I want to I want to move into football recruiting. That's one thing uh, this this spring and in December we have not discussed uh, the way that this the show has fallen is that there's been commitments happening left and right, it seems like. But they've fallen on off days of the show. And by the time we record, they become, you know, news of the past. So as a, a, a as Things stand today. Louisville has five commitments in the class of 2021 following up on a huge recruiting class last year. Uh, they sit 51st nationally, ninth in the ACC. Their their class right now has some pieces, but it's kind of, you know, my opinion, it's kind of meh right now. I think that they're putting uh, some of the some of the more developmental guys have committed first, if that makes sense. Not all, but some. Uh, and eventually they'll build with some of the star power. But Dalton, I'll start with you. In terms of where we are today, are you happy with where they are, with the progress they've made? And are you more focused on the guys that they have, the five that are in the in the fold for them, or some of the other bigger names that they just cannot seem to land? Yeah, let's address the the big guys that they haven't been able to get. Uh, you know, Louisville fans should not by any means, uh, you know, fester on that. Um, you're losing Travion Ford, the top 200 player from St. Louis to Missouri when he wanted to play in the SEC. That that's a miss that's expected. Um, you know, Deco Crowdis. Uh, a heavy UK lean is plays at Frederick Douglass in Lexington. So you really can't fault him for that. You know, Jansen Dunn goes to Ohio state. That's hard. It's hard to pass up and offer from Ohio state. You look at some other guys. I mean, down the line, I really don't think that we should be festering on what we have not got, but what we have, um, you're right. These, I mean, the highest rated guy is a uh, Vic Tom Brown and he's a uh, 427th in the, 24-7 sports composite. But, however, you know, I think that's where Satterfield's going to make his niche. We saw it at Appalachian State. He turned two-star guys into, you know, going 10-2 and two in year two of um, getting into the FBS level. Uh, you've got three, two or three guys right now, Brown and Braylon Oliver, sitting in that top 500 range. You know, insiders believe these guys could definitely get it up to that four, low four-star level. Mm-hmm. I think that's where Satterfield's going to have to make his niche before he jumps up. But you've got guys like Aaron Gunn, Zim Milkowski, uh, bigger offensive lineman, uh, Zim Milkowski rising up the boards quick. But it seems like we have a trend. When Louisville offers, a lot of other big-name programs offer quickly after that. And that's part – That's really, that's mainly because Scott Satterfield and company are so good at evaluating talent you know we have three guys right now that are um you know top uh 900 in the class respectively and that's only going to get better i mean we've got a four-star out outside linebacker that's probably going to commit here soon a legacy recruit no i can't high, wait high can't three wait. high mm-hmm. three star safety and then we'll talk about the quarterbacks later on scott satterfield's just getting started top talent wants to play with top talent there's a couple guys that we have to circle on the board but if we can get those guys in the fold, I mean, it changes the whole caliber of this class. Top 30 recruiting class should not be out of question here. And even if it is, let's be honest, Louisville's not really a program that has made its money on getting top 20 recruiting classes. They really don't do that much. So I really think, you know, you look at this recruiting class, there's a ton to like. All five guys are guys who are going to be able to compete and contribute uh, maybe sooner rather than later. And um, I, I definitely think, you know, it's not going to be um, – setting the world on fire in terms of quality, but we're going to address our depth and we're going to get guys that uh, will buy into the system, be able to compete in the ACC. Yeah. Presley, what do you say? I mean, I I don't think that I could have said it any better myself. Um, I think that if you're looking at um, what Louisville has become accustomed to landing, as far as what a successful, a truly successful recruiting class looks like, um, I think that, that, the pieces are falling into place. Um, and it looks like there's going to be three or four guys who are, are pretty big name guys who are going to be able to come in and play almost right away. Um, and, and that's kind of what Louisville's going to start hanging their hat on. Um, when you look at some of these, um, when you look at some, some of Louisville's top classes over the last five to 10 years, um, you had a lot of these, um, you had a lot of these, these um, players or you had a lot of these classes that are like 30 to 35 to 40 range. Um, but you had a lot of, of, of you know, mid four star type of players or high three star type of players um, who have come in and, and that's who they've kind of built their program around. 
So just because the, you know, not every single player that they're landing is studs, um, that that's where kind of where the, the coaching staff has had to hang their hat is upon the fact that, um, that, that a lot of these guys are going to have to be diamonds in the rough. Um, so I, I think that Dalton definitely hit the nail on the head there. But I'm excited for what is coming down the road. Um, oh, it's and that's coming. Kind of, it's coming that, soon. That's kind of that's kind of what I'm the most focused on is that over the next probably I'd say the next month or so, um, Louisville's going to land some of the bigger recruits that they've had in the last five or six years, um, and that oh, yeah. should have fans extremely excited. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. They they are definitely in on a lot of big names and. You know, Dalton, I, I definitely agree that long term, it's a lot like last year. You know, we're, as we talk about the 2020 class, we we seem to be able to kind of get past the Cheva Purdy decommit. We we be able to get past Isaiah Cummings and John Young going to UK. Like, th- there's other players that they have Louisville has found that are better fits and are better long term developed players than some of the big names that they missed out on. But at the same time, I think that um, I think it's worth talking about. Why? Why are Louisville missing out on some of these big names? I think this year it's a little bit trickier because of the the coronavirus and the effects of recruiting and being able to go and visit campuses. And, um, you know, a lot of players are going to probably ultimately decide to stay closer to home because of the travel restrictions and things just being a little bit too tricky right away. But I think that uh, you talk about a guy like Travian Ford who has the opportunity to come in and be your one of your best players as a freshman. Uh, for a for a program that has been historically known for developing players, I don't know. Something seems odd, especially because he's been to Louisville's campus yeah. four or five times. I get one to yeah. stay home, but you know, are are do you want to go play for a school that's going to be at the bottom of the SEC, or do you want to go play for a school that's going to compete at the top of the ACC? You know, it's a different it's a different landscape, but it, it begs is. the questions of why why can't they land some of these bigger name players? I know it's only year two. I but, mean. Yeah, here, here's my reasoning behind that. And, and also, Corey Connors, another guy, uh, he, he's going to commit to LSU on Monday, for those listening. Um, you can't fault, especially him, you can't fault a guy for going to a premier program that just had maybe the best offensive season of all time and got a running back drafted in the first round. I mean, right. it, it's it's almost impossible to compete with, with LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, programs like that when they want a guy. If, if the guy's on the back burner, I mean, sure, it's it's easy to compete with them because you can pitch that, you know, we, we want you to play right away and be a stud. But if LSU and Alabama are saying the same thing, um, you know, Louisville's not on that playing field yet. Uh, Travian Ford, that's just, that's just that. I think if if they were able to get a lot of these guys, if you're able to get them on campus, I think that's where the Louisville staff really leaves their mark on recruits. That's why we saw a lot of commits after their mm-hmm. camp in the uh, Saturday Night Lights or wh- whatever the hell they called it. Um, they really leave their mark in person when you can see the facilities in person and get to connect with other recruits. But um, Ford is, a, you know, does he stick with Missouri? Who knows? I, you know, I just think, you know, there's a lot. We can't really underestimate the hometown pull on a kid when, you know, all the voices in his ear are probably like, hey, man, uh, it would be really nice to play the SEC right down the road. I mean, it's easy to pitch that. And so the the guys that they've lost – have either gone to schools that are premier schools or schools that are right down the road. And it's hard to get that, especially when you can't get guys on campus. But just just due to the fact that they are getting, you know, high three-star guys all from five five different states. I mean, none of these guys are from the same state. I mean, I've never seen a Louisville, um, a Louisville class be able to, you know, range so drastically mm-hmm. in terms of geographic. But um, like I said, I think, it's easy to, you know, ask what went wrong with recruits, but I think we have to realize, you know, we are satin guys are going after big name guys that, you know, big big recruits like big programs. So, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Big Ten, SEC, you're going to have to compete with big fish. You'll win a couple, but you're going to lose probably the majority of them until you get to that Clemson level, if uh, assuming that we do. Right, and, and you know, I think that. Presley made a, made a great point. Clemson, you know, early on in the Dabo Sweeney stages of, the, of his career, of that run, he wasn't recruiting the number one player in the country every year. That was that was a byproduct of winning. Uh, and you heard Scott Satterfield say last year after I think it was the Boston College game um, when you had Christian Fitzpatrick uh, decommit from Washington State. I think that was the same week that Jordan Watkins decommitted from Kentucky uh, or shortly thereafter. 
you start winning games and people are going to start paying attention oh, yeah. to you. You get another eight eight win season. That's going to change a lot of heads. If for some reason we do get to ten and two, brace yourselves because we will reel in some big fish. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that. All right, let's go into the last segment of the show here. Dalton, I want to spend some time talking to you. And Presley, I think there's some bigger discussion points that we can get into and talk specifically because you and I aren't recruiting experts by any means. But Dalton, you, you uh, published a great piece this morning uh, kind of highlighting the Louisville quarterbacks targets right now for the class of 2021. Uh, they bring in T. Webb, kind of changes the quarterback room a little bit different. You've got three guys in Conley, Webb, and Cunningham, and Pass even that all four guys are different. No two players do the exact same things. Uh, and you see that right. with these these group of players that, that they're targeting. So tell me just quickly a little bit about each one that you highlighted, very high level, uh, and then kind of tell me who you think personally is the best fit. Oh, yeah. So uh, there, there was three options. And, and quarterback recruiting has been a little murky for Louisville because there's a couple names, but I'm really kind of trying to dissect who they're going after. They're keeping a lot of it close to chest. But I think there's uh, two of them, maybe three, that really are main focus. The first one's kind of a backup option. Uh, Nick Vadiato from uh, Fort Lauderdale isn't ranked in the top 1,000 according to 24-7 sports, but he he has impressed a lot of people in different camps throughout uh, the Midwest and the Ohio Valley at Louisville and Kentucky. Uh, is is a little bit undersized at 5'11", but he kind of gives you know that like Doug Flutie appeal to where he can still make stuff happen, whether it's his legs, whether it's his arm. I think he's a little bit more of a backup option that Louisville could get if they wanted to. I'm just not so sure, you know, if it's not a two quarterback class, then I really don't think, you know, Vadiato is the uh, the the feature quarterback. Um, but the two, the next two definitely are, and they've put on the full court press uh, automatically. Chayden Peary from California, that's probably the well-known right now. Uh, top 500 guy, three-year starter at um, uh, Sierra Canyon High School. The guy has amazing touch for, you know, a uh, 6'2 quarterback. I mean, effortless arm strength. He's definitely an option to watch. But my favorite, and probably everyone else's favorite, uh, primetime Deion Sanders' son, Shadur Sanders from Cedar Hill, Texas, down in the Dallas area. Top 300 player. Um he is a pro-style quarterback, uh, but he definitely has the ability to run when needs to, but he's just so good of a passer. The guy can sling it and put it anywhere on the field. And if you're a Louisville fan, you know, this could be the crown jewel of the 2021 class. And it helps that, you know, Jordan Williams, a guy who has Louisville as his top school right now, is transferring down there to Cedar Hill to play with him. So, But Shadur Sanders has to be recruit number one when it comes to the big board. There's two things about Shooter Sanders that stand out to me. One, I have a feeling that uh, – and I don't know if this is warranted or not. This is just a feeling. But that interview with uh, Deion Sanders and Lamar Jackson at the NFL draft, I think that that, that – that, like something about that, Deion Sanders fell in love with Lamar Jackson after that. And I would not be shocked if when, if Shooter Sanders were to commit that he says, my favorite player is Lamar Jackson and I want oh, to yeah. be like him. They're pitching. You've got to pitch Lamar too. you got to say, hey, look. We got Lamar Jackson to the NFL. We got Teddy Bridgewater to the NFL. Come play with play for us, a program that is known for getting guys paid in the NFL. Let's get you to the NFL as well. Yeah, I completely agree. The second thing, and this one is the one that worries me, I do not want to get into another battle with Florida State over a quarterback, especially uh, one that commits early and then late down the stretch puts Louisville in, or puts the recruit in a full court press, uh, especially one who it would be a huge legacy uh recruit for them it's tough um i think you're right but i think you know florida state might not be the biggest team you have to worry about if you see you know other top this guy's got i mean alabama lsu florida georgia all those offers i mean let's be honest georgia's known for dropping some bags yeah I mean, uh, Shadur Sanders, uh, they don't get some guys that they were previously looking at, but they do got Brock Vandegrift, who's the number, I think, two quarterback in the nation. So you're hoping that a lot of the top teams get their guys, but mm-hmm. you have to try to be able to pitch Sanders, hey, I want you to come in. I want you to be able to compete right away. Hopefully Florida State gets a distinguished quarterback. You know, if Chubba starts starting this year, sure, that's fine, as long as we can get Sanders. But you're right. I mean, if we lose another com- commit to Florida State, I'm going to put a Seminole dartboard up on my basement wall. 
it's been a rough year for Louisville and Florida State. Football, basketball, recruiting, all of that didn't go well. But, Presley, here's what I want to end on. Uh, and I'm sure you probably don't know a ton about any of these three quarterbacks, but you have seen Mikhail Cunningham play for Louisville. You have seen Evan Conley. You know enough about T. Webb. You've written about him plenty of times. In your mind, what is the better fit at quarterback? Is it more of a pocket passing uh, but can run type of player in T. Webb, or is it somebody who is – dual threat to the core can beat you just as well with their legs as they can their arm. To me, I think that Louisville is, is beginning to build a brand a little bit um, with the dual threat quarterbacks. I mean, you even saw a little bit with, with Evan Connolly. Again, I, I don't think that by any means that he's a dual threat, but the same with, with, with Puma pass, the, the better that a player has the ability to get outside the pocket, to extend plays and, and to, be that that weapon with their legs like that's what I love to see if you're if you're a, a, an opposing fan and you and your team is playing against a player like that it's the most frustrating thing in the world to watch you know I, I feel like um, obviously in, in the the two and ten you know Bobby Petrino's last season I remember that happening happening a lot um, you know quarterbacks breaking contain and it just absolutely drove me insane because I, because it just had this like feeling of like this is exactly what fans have been feeling when they have to face Lamar Jackson, um, you know, the, the last three years. It, to, to me, when I watched Adore Sanders, um, he, you know, I don't think that he has that open field Lamar Jackson type of ability. But when you just watch um, some of his highlights, so, some of his ability to ex- escape the pocket, and just he just has that raw arm talent like he he just he has that same sort of ability to just kind of fling the ball down the field and it's the same way with Mikhail Cunningham he has those pro style qualities to him but I mean we saw like the immediately the the play against Boston College comes to mind where there's you know the the defender basically had zero chance one-on-one um I guess it was it was a linebacker out in space and he just just shook the guy out of his shoes and walked into the end zone when you have that kind of ability at quarterback, that completely changes the dynamic of the game because you can beat you can beat the opponent in in multiple ways. And I, I feel like that's what Louisville should continue to to um, to try to recruit. I mean, if you look at some of the, the the challenges that that coaches like Nick Saban is notorious for having issues against against running quarterbacks, um, and, and it's the same at Clemson. Um, as good as their defenses have been over the last decade, Brent Venables is notorious for being not as prepared against a dual threat type of quarterback. Um, even in, if you look in the NFL, Bill Belichick's bugaboo is that he has issues with his defenses preparing for running quarterbacks. Um, I, I think that in this day and age, um, Louisville has the opportunity to kind of own that, that tag. They can be, um, you know, we already saw that, that 247 ranked Louisville as one of the top 10 quote unquote quarterback use. It, it could be the, the, the even more so with, with the running quarterback. Right. Yeah, I think I think you're you're spot on there. And, uh, you know, what better way to go out and recruit uh, quarterbacks, dual threat quarterbacks, especially than Lamar Jackson? I mean, you're talking about the, the most, you know, one of the most popular guys in the NFL right now. Um so it's going to be interesting to see what they do, and I think long-term the staff is going to probably put together an even better class than last year uh, and one that probably has more impact players right away. This class, I think they've got a lot of guys who are going to play, uh, but I think they're going to be mostly on one side of the ball. You won't see a lot of offensive guys play this year, in my opinion. That could change. Uh, we'll see. I think not having the offseason is going to be a big deal with that. But it's been a great show. We appreciate you guys tuning in, as always. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter at the Big Red Louie, uh, BigRedLouie.com. Uh, and then you can obviously catch all of us on Twitter as well. Meyer underscore Presley, D Pence with a weird underscore at the end that doesn't belong, and Jacob <laughs> hey, Lane. Hey, D Pence is not a regular D Pence is not available, and uh, the regular D Pence. Uh, tuning in, listening as always, and we'll catch you next time.